welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Such a joy. Every year we get to go um, with some extended family and we camp and um, we play games, we read books, we have rich conversation, we do family devotions, um, eat lots of ice cream, especially me. Um, And there's lots of just great memories that surround this trip. But there's also some that are not quite as great. Um, Every time that I arrive at Lake Chelan, the whole ritual is you get there and as soon as you get there, you just run from your car and dive right into the lake because it is like such crystal clear blue water. It's glorious. And it's usually like 90 degrees. It feels like this right now. So all you want to do is jump into some cool waters. And the problem is, is that every time I run down, I take off my shoes, I run into the lake and I step right on a rock, right on the heel. And it just fills me with angst and anger. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is terrible. And I have sustained a lot of injuries in my life. I've broken a collarbone. I've uh, broken my spine, actually. I've sprained knees, ankles, broken fingers, all this stuff. But somehow, I'm still not prepared for the feeling when a rock just jabs right in the bottom of your foot. Maybe some of you, it's for a Lego. Those things are just, they're made for pain, I swear. (laughs) Somehow, you can't be prepared for it. And it's thinking on moments like this that we're thankful for shoes to protect our feet. They protect our feet from the rough terrain. They give us the ability to move quickly and confidently. If you're just joining us, we've been walking through uh, the book of Ephesians, and now we're studying the armor of God. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and we will take a look in depth at the spiritual shoes that God gives us in Christ. Let's read together. We're going to start in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, finally, Christian, in light of all that Christ has done for you that we've studied in Ephesians, you've been joined to Jesus, you've been adopted in the family of God, in light of all these precious promises, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on, therefore, the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For we, believers, do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, how do we fight this? We take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and here's our verse, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
To that end, keep alert. Stay on your guard with all perseverance, making supplication, prayers for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Tonight we will be looking at the mystery of the gospel. If you're taking notes, the title of my sermon is Gospel Boots. Gospel Boots. And I have just two points tonight. They're two different questions. The first one, why shoes? Why shoes? Remember our verses, verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, or just change the words around just a little bit. It says this, stand therefore, having put on as shoes for your feet the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In the equipment list that's given to us in Ephesians 6, in the armor of God, we see a belt, we see a breastplate, we see shoes, we see a shield, we see a helmet, and we see a sword. Has it ever surprised you that shoes would make the list? That's something that I never really thought about until studying this passage, like out of there's, there's a lot of different pieces of armor you could wear. And yet, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, I, through the Holy Spirit through Paul, identifies shoes as one of the most instrumental and important pieces of equipment given to the Christian soldier. When I think of the image of a medieval knight that's clad in his shining armor, the last thing that I think about is the pair of shoes that he's wearing. But Paul is drawing our attention to this. And it's important for us to know that the armor that God supplies, he intentionally provides us footwear. Why is this? Well, I thought of a couple reasons. There's definitely more. We're going to look at a few of them. We get a clue towards one of these reasons in verse 14. Look back to it. What does verse 14 begin with? It says this, stand, therefore, stand. We are to be equipped and positioned in such a way that we are to be able to hold our ground. So what does holding our ground look like? Well, I was thinking of Old Testament stories that show just, you know, warriors that hold the line. And and one of them that I was looking into was of David's mighty men. This is in 2 Samuel 23. And his name is Shammah. And Shammah was the son of Agi, the Herorite. And the Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So there's crops. Then the people fled. The Israelites fled from the Philistines. But Shammah stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. I love that picture. Just, you know, going to war, standing in your spot, and defending the ground that God has given. And in response, the Lord brings about a great victory through this work. Shammah holds his ground. He is steady. He is unmoving. He does not give up terrain. And being solid, being in solid gospel footwear allows us to hold our ground and to not relinquish our heart to sin and to Satan's schemes. This also reminds me, last year at Rooted, before we did one of the sessions, we played a giant game of tug of war. And the, the whole con to tug of war is it's not about the team that's the strongest. It's about the team with the most friction on their feet. It's whoever has grip on their feet. That's who wins tug of war. So lower center of gravity players, you are at a severe advantage. So just remember that when you're picking your tug of war teams. It's all about who can hold their footing. We are given spiritual shoes to stand firm. And we're also given them to be protected from the environment. 
Like I alluded to in my introduction, shoes prevent us from the rough, the uncomfortable terrain that we walk on. They also insulate our feet from the cold. They keep them dry from the raid. They shade, shade them from the sun. And gospel shoes do the same. They give us comfort when we pass through waters that are deep. And they protect us when we walk through the fire. This is from Isaiah 42. They reduce the blows of the thorns, the sticks, and the rocks of persecution, trial, and suffering that we face on this life. And now, because of Christ, these things are not only the end of life, but they're actually the start of it. Without the work of Jesus done on our behalf, the half of all who believe in him, the sufferings in this world are actually a shadow of the judgment that is to come. And that's sobering, that the things in this life are, they're only going to get worse apart from Christ. But when we are joined to Jesus by faith, the sufferings of this world are actually used by God to draw us nearer to him. As each one comes, we can confidently stand on the promises of God, running full speed towards our eternal home. This is our hope. In all of these circumstances, we can say that we are more than conquerors, as Romans 8 says. Gospel shoes protect us from the work of the devil because his desires will no longer be final for us. They won't be the end of your life, the end of your world, even in the face of the valley of deep darkness, as JT preached on Sunday at Redeemer, Psalm 23. When we walk through the deep valley, we say this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So why shoes? Why does God give us gospel shoes? Because we need them to be ready to stand, ready to walk, and ready to run. And it is a wonderful blessing that God gives us equipment for this. Point number two, what is the gospel of peace? What is the gospel of peace? What does that word mean? Right at the end of verse 15, it says that we're having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What is that talking about? Does anyone know what the word gospel means? Just literally. Anyone help me out? What does the word gospel mean? Good news. Good news. Thank you all for raising your hand. I appreciate the respect, but if I'm asking, you can just shout it out. Thank you. Good news. The gospel literally means good news. But the good news of what? What is the news that is good? Well, there can be a lot of different ways that you can kind of break down, package the gospel. Um, I think the one from Redeemer Kids is really great. If you serve, you know, we start with God rules, right? The crown. God rules. We sin. God provided. What's the next one? Jesus gives and we respond. That's right. So that's just really simply five easy steps. We can remember that. We can remember the little motions. This is the gospel of peace. This is the good news. God created the world and everything in it. As part of his creation, he designed rules and he set expectations for us. But the truth is that each of us have failed to meet those expectations, which is what we call sin. But God, in his great love, did not leave us alone, but instead he pursued us. And he provided a way that we could be joined with him. The means that God has chosen to do this is not through our own works, 
As Matthew showed us last week, they're like filthy rags. They're like that dirty forever long t-shirt. They can never be clean before God. But it's through the work of Jesus Christ done on our behalf. When we trust that Jesus' death satisfies the payment necessary for the debt that we owe to God, and we put our faith in him, we receive the perfect righteousness. We receive that fresh white t-shirt on our behalf, and it's now ours. If you struggle with articulating the gospel, think on the pattern. God, God rules. We sin. God provided. Jesus gives. We respond. Just, just put that in your mind. Think on it. And, and think about, okay, how can I say this in my own words? What's a sentence that I can say of describing each of these little steps? It is so important that we have gospel fluency in our language. It, we should be looking at things that we can tie to the gospel, ways that we see God's hand at work in our lives, even in, in small little ways of just, or just realizing God's kindness and the ways that we must be drawn back to the Lord. When we think in gospel terms, gospel message comes out of our mouths. This is the gospel, and the peace that it brings is peace with God. We saw last week that the greatest hurdle we face to heaven is not Satan. It's not even the world. It's God himself. Because his standard of righteousness is unattainable for us as sinners. We are not born into peace with God. We have all sinned against him, and we fall short of his glory. But Ephesians 2.14 has a great promise. It says this, For he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace breaking down the dividing wall of hostility. And he has made us both one with God. Jesus is our peace. He has united us to God by faith. This is the good news. So what are we called to do with this good news? What's the point? Where do we go? Do we cling to it as exclusively ours and begrudgingly share it with others? Like, oh yeah, I guess I need to... You know, share the gospel with this person. It's like you see a toddler, you know, in preschool three, and they like just cling to this one little toy. And if you teach in preschool three, you know better than I would that it is so hard some, for some of them to let it go. They just, this is mine. This is mine. I'm holding on to this, right? That should never be the way that we hold on to the gospel. The gospel is precious, it is a gift, but it is a gift that is meant to be shared with others. It's a sad reality that the normal course of our lives for many of us is that we are hesitant, we are almost begrudging to share this good news. How unloving would it be if you had the only cure for a terminal cancer and you declined to sharing it with a friend or a family member? It'd be very unloving. The gospel is the cure to our terminal cancer called sin. How could we hold it back from others? David Livingston, a missionary to Africa in the 1800s, has a good quote on this. He asks a question. If a commission, a request by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Think about that. If a king called you by name, they, they, they dial their phone and it picks out, you say, Hello, and they say, this is the king of the world, right? It doesn't exist. This is the king of the world. Could you do this for me? That would be such a privilege. You'd be like, no way. The king's calling me? This is incredible. And yet when the king of the universe commissions us to share the gospel, Matthew 28, that's the mission of our church, we, 
we don't count it as an honor. We count it as a sacrifice. It's something that we have to do. It's an immensely great privilege that we have to carry the good news to the world. The verse Paul likely has in his mind when he writes Ephesians 6.15 is Isaiah 52.7. You can turn there. just want to look at it quickly. Isaiah 52.7, it says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye, everywhere they see the return of the Lord to Zion, to his city, to his people. How amazing is it that those who are undeserving of grace in the first place are now the means that God has chosen to use to extend that same grace to others. What a privilege that is. Isaiah uses the term beautiful. Beautiful to describe the shoes of the gospel of peace. And how does he describe the person who's doing this? In verse 8 he says, They lift up their voice, they sing for joy. They understand just how good of news it is that the Lord is coming back and that one day he will bring us home. Student, if your desire towards evangelism is cold and indifferent, look back to the cross. Look again. Every day, remember afresh how grand God's redemptive plan is. And also remember how undeserving you are to be a part of it. How undeserving you are that God would redeem you by faith in Christ. When we do this, we are fueled to share this good news with others. So then why don't we do it? If I were to ask every one of you personally how you thought you were doing on evangelism, probably say that every single person would say, I wish I did a better job at it, right? I wish I was stronger. I wish I was a little more fluent on the gospel. I wish I, was, I had more boldness. Some of you, I wish I shared my faith one time because I still haven't done that. There's a lot of things that can discourage us from this. And I want to spend the last four times tonight providing you with three encouragements towards this great privilege. This one is for the unprepared evangelist. For the unprepared evangelist. Remember this. God equips those he calls. God equips those he calls. For many of you, your first reaction to the idea of evangelism is that it's something reserved for the mature believers, for the you know, seniors in high school. Like, I'm just a seventh grader. I'm, that's not me. That's, that's for the high schoolers. Maybe some of you high schoolers, oh, that's for the small group leaders. And maybe some of you small group leaders, oh, that's for the pastor. And maybe some of you, you know, (laughs) on and on. (laughs) Right? Because we don't see ourselves as quite mature enough, it's not for us. That's for someone else. That's someone else's responsibility because I'm going to get it wrong probably. Well, I have a newsflash for you, Christian. If this is your mentality, you will never be mature enough. You'll never reach that point where you just, you hit the threshold and you say, okay, now I can do it. Now I'm mature enough. Now I feel prepared, right? It's one of those things you jump in and the Lord carries you all the way home. That's what our hope is. If you struggle in this way, read the testimony of the author of Ephesians, Paul. In Acts chapter 9, his name originally was Saul and he gets radically saved. And according to verse 20 in Acts 9, it says this, Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. As soon as he got saved, 
boom. It's like, I need to tell other people about this. I don't, I don't understand it all. I don't know everything that's going on, but people need to know. Immediacy. You do not need to have all your words put together and all your theology figured out. God uses imperfect men and women just like you to share this news. And he even uses us, the church, God's people, to bring others to the salvation that we have received in Christ. He equips those that he calls and he has fitted every believer with the armor of God. This is for the fearful evangelist, for the fearful evangelist. Remember this, you are just the messenger. You are just the messenger. Perhaps you fear that people will not like you if you share the gospel with them. Maybe they'll stop inviting you over to hangouts or to their house. Maybe they'll stop talking to you. Maybe they'll even tell you the dreaded words that you're shoving Jesus down their throat. Maybe you'll hear that. Jesus in John 15, 18 tells his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it even hated you. In other words, if the people in this world don't like you because you sound like, smell like, and look like Jesus, it's something that we are to expect, something that Jesus prepares us for. And we are to take courage that when someone rejects the gospel message, they're not rejecting you. It can feel personal. It can feel very personal. But they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. Our faithfulness to the call of evangelism is not based on how many converts we have in our whole life, on how many people we walk to the gospel and they accept it and they believe it and they trust in Jesus and their lives forever change. That's not the standard. Faithfulness is, is determined just based on whether or not we scatter the seed. Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. Are you scattering the seed? Are you just sharing? I don't, you know, I don't have all the words. I don't know. I can't articulate everything. I can't answer all the questions but I just want you to know who Jesus is. Is that where you're at? Remember that you are just the messenger. For the discouraged evangelist, for the discouraged evangelist, remember this. It is God who saves, not you. It is God who saves, not you. Some of you don't care to evangelize because the people that you've been praying for for years still don't know who Jesus is. You have friends at school Maybe you have family members at home that still reject the gospel, still don't care the message that you continue to say. They still, it's just hitting a brick wall. Maybe that's the reality for you. Maybe you even feel like you have been genuinely making attempts at evangelism, but you just can't even say the right points. Listen to this. There may be people who preach the gospel better than you, but there is no person who will ever preach a better gospel. There is no one who will ever preach a better gospel. This is the good news of the kingdom, the king of the universe delivered to us to be shared with those around us. The word of the Lord does not return void. His sovereign plan that somehow brings to regeneration all those who believe will not be thwarted. There's no one that can stop God's plan. No one. Not you, not Satan, not the world. God's purposes will prevail. John 6, 37, Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast them out. 
This is the will of him who sent me, God, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but I will raise it up on the last day. Jesus says that everyone who comes to him, he will never send them away. And he also says that all of the people that God has given to him will come. God's purposes prevail, and it is God who saves, not you. Anytime we look at the armor of God, we must resist falling into the trap that suddenly the Christian life is all about how strong, how careful, how mighty we are, or it's about what we contribute to God that makes us worthy of being able to wear this armor or being worthy of being able to stand firm. But just like every other piece of armor, gospel boots are given to us by God through Christ. Our strength does not lie in how thoroughly we equip ourselves or whether or not every single morning we put our boots on. The armor of God is given through Christ and it is secured not by our work, but by his. He is the one, him, who has purchased them for us and he himself is the armor. When you are joined to Jesus, his work becomes your own through faith. I'll close with a quote from Pastor Brian Chappell. He says this, Thus, when the day of evil comes, and our temptation is great, and the world just feels heavy upon us, we should not say, Satan cannot touch me because of how truthful, how righteous, and how faithful I have been. That's not our defense. What's our defense? Rather, we should say, I am protected by the truth that though I feel weak, I am strong. Though I may fall, I possess Christ's righteousness. And though I am not perfect, I have peace with my God who has provided the faith that I could not conjure, the salvation I could not earn, and the spirit I daily need. Let's pray. Lord, your word is alive and active and it pierces the heart. And that is a great joy to be able to say that as a preacher lord it's a great joy to say that as an evangelist for the students as evangelists that it is the word of god that pierces the heart not eloquence not our precision in the way that we speak or the sound of our voice or the words that we use it is god who works we are thankful for that lord that you would not rest the souls of men on our ability to share the gospel as clear as possible with them. Lord, it's based on you. Pray that these students tonight would be humbled by this good news that they receive in Jesus Christ, that they would equip themselves with the gospel boots, the gospel of peace would go forth from their mouths, and that they would remember that it is Christ's work who merits them, not their own. Lord, equip us for the work of the ministry. Help us to know you, to be drawn deeper into a loving relationship with you, God. And I pray for any student tonight who does not trust in you, that they would abandon their pride, abandon their sins, abandon the lusts of their flesh, and that they would set their eyes upon the cross by faith and receive Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.